I've noticed, I've come to this realization that for some weird reason, we as humans more often than not, not that we have to hit rock bottom, but we need some real dark night of the soul or some real challenge, some real, you know, the universe or God or whoever, whatever you believe in, just slapping you in the face and saying, try and get past this because it was only within the depths of, you know, depression and like, what the hell, what the hell just happened? I lost, I lost 90% of my life in less than a week. Like what, what happened here? It's only from that, that I got so indignant. And I had this like weird epiphany and moment of indignation at the same time where I'm like, listen, I've wasted my twenties. I'm, I've gone nowhere. Something has to change. And I kind of look back. I'm like, you know, that law of attraction thing that kind of worked, but kind of didn't. Now that I think about it, whenever I was actually doing it, when I was visualizing, gratitude, scripting, and I didn't stop, it would, it would start to work. Welcome to the Innovative Founder, the show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, founders. Hello, founders. Welcome. We we talk to people every week, but if it's been a while since we've recorded an episode. I just got to yeah. say that. Yeah, it's been a while. Glaring admission, but there's been a lot of travel and a lot of life happening so it's it's been a while since we recorded yes. but uh it's good to be back on the microphone and we're just energized after our conversation we'll talk about that in a minute yeah. um brandon i just got back from maui maui how is maui maui mm-hmm. is so many people have been to maui brandon like i bring it up go. and we're like and they keep never like been. oh i know you never been because it doesn't fit into your feral <laughs> framework right it is it is for those that like to be pampered and pleasured Ah. you don't you don't like that Ah, no we here and there now we spent a week in maui it was kind of a not a spur of the moment it was a spur of the moment decision um to go about six months ago we committed to paying for the week but um maui for us hawaii for us represents kind of it's it's a i've had a lot of friends comment like it's where my soul is most happy Hmm. and there is something about being on that island Um, I must have lived there in another life Um, because when I land there and when I see the water and I see the mountains I feel like I'm at home so we spent uh, we spent three days on the water we took various excursions we did snorkeling we did snuba um we we drove up brandon it's a five-hour time difference for us yeah but so the first day we landed there you know we got up at 2 30 in the morning was 7 30 body time no big deal right uh we took a two-hour drive to the top of uh haleakala which is a inactive volcano but is the second clearest place on earth um, so there's telescopes up there. It's 10,023 feet. Wow. And um, we watched the sunrise um, 
the colors and just the experience of watching the sun come up at 10,000 feet, I can't explain it. I just encourage you to do it. Um, wow. It was better than any church service I've ever been to. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, we did a bucket list item. We paid an exceedingly vast sum of money to play the Kapalua golf course. We played the plantation and bay course. Um, and it was absolutely thrilling. Uh, one of the best experiences of our life. For golfers, they're going to know what we're talking about. It's a PGA course. They play the Century Tourney of Champions there. Um, we just had a phenomenal time. And um, so we, we came back extra recharged and really looking forward to uh, uh, the rest of the summer, but it was, it was a great experience for sure. What, what have you been Excellent. up to? Uh, during that time, I went to my cabin in Northern Wisconsin and I, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a kind of a contrast, but, uh, so you were, my experience, the, you were on the water and so was I, I was on the water. Uh, I went up solo just to get some time of meditation and thinking solo. and writing. So uh, flew into Minneapolis and drove for three and a half and pulled out the canoe and canoed over and uh, just spent a couple days there in in lovely solitude and swimming in Lake Superior chilly water and uh, families of mergansers going by and uh, just enjoying. So what 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 is what is it like for you? Why why did you want to do that alone? Um. I have just over the last few years has come to a tremendous respect for solitude. And I think it's something my family, my mom, my sister, brother, uh, we all pick, we, we all, all seem to value. And this place is, has allowed for that. Um, it is a, I don't know if, I'm, if just cause I'm highly, I feel my I'm empathic or whatever, but I, I feel so sensitive to energies all the time around me. Um, and, and, there is a part of me that whenever I'm in the presence of other people, family, friends, whatever, I feel like I turn into host. I turn into a host mode where I become very aware of their, their, how, uh, how they're doing. Like, are they having a good time and can I get you anything? And, and, and I become, I, I think we, whoever we're around, most of the time we begin to share energy and you begin to kind of play off each other. And I think at least for me, it's very important to separate myself from the energy of everyone including just living in a city um right to go and what does that feel like to sit with yourself and to reset and to to ground and the it's absolutely invaluable uh i think it's important for people to do uh is is to figure out it's in it's the process of figuring out who you are who are you when yeah. there's no stimulation who are you right. when there's nothing right. to respond to. And I really mean nothing. I mean, it's well, maybe you've got to, you know what I'm saying? I, I would say no one. And this is, this is, this is where you and I had a, we, we had a parallel experience. Yeah. Um, I took a book along called this listing prophecy. Um, I forget the author. I'll, I'll come up with it, but um, the book is kind of a novel about a, uh, a truth one of the things that this guy discovers as he goes to Peru and he works with this uh, spiritual teacher is that when you sit and appreciate the beauty of nature, it actually feeds you energy. All right. And so here's what happened. I drove to the top of Haleakala. I experienced the sun coming up at the top of a mountain. I, the, that afternoon, I opened that book up and I read a chapter and that chapter was about appreciating beauty. Beauty. 
and 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 receiving energy from nature the two places that you can receive the most energy are at sunrise on a mountaintop i read that in a book <laughs> that very afternoon and i'm like oh my gosh i love synchronicity um I love when it. you sit in nature and appreciate the beauty, you are actually pulling energy and it's putting energy into you and you putting your energy out, appreciating that beauty. That's why you have something called a mountaintop experience. Wow. Why did we feel so enriched after spending the morning on the mountain? It's because we shared energy with that moment. And why did you feel energized being by yourself on Lake Superior amongst the trees and the and the waves is because you were appreciating the beauty and that energy was 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 shared with that. Yeah. Um, I can't make this stuff up. This is the way my life works these days. Um, in fact, in the book, he's like, you might find that you will experience something very soon after you read the book or very soon after you read the, read these chapters. Um, but that's I feel like you and I had similar experiences, even though we were in completely different completely. places on the planet. Yeah, yeah. What no. resonates with you and, and me, and and yeah. for, it's different for everyone. What's so interesting yeah. about it is there's like we were talking about a second before we started recording was just this idea of there is no one way; it doesn't exist. Oh. What and it's like, well, I might like I like looking at life like a buffet. Oh, that worked for you. That was important for you. I yeah. maybe I'll try that. Let me t- let me taste that. See if that works for me. And it's this delicious sharing of of these experiences instead of saying, well, if you want this, then you got to go down this real linear path that's well worn. No, not at all. Beware of anyone that prescribes a path for you. That's um, yes. That is a recipe for disaster. Um, Brandon and I are kind of living by a new philosophy. It's not new. Maybe it's new to us. Is it useful or not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and, um, yeah. I, I wanted to play off synchronicity. We're going to introduce our guest. His name is Andrew Cap. Um, Andrew, I've known him for about four years. Um, very successful author. And he's going to talk a lot about that, but, um, the fact that we spend a little bit of this time, Brandon, talking about books and specifically your book. And, um, you know, at some point we'll talk more about that, but you in the middle of writing a book and having, I think it was just the perfect time for us to have a conversation with Andrew, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been chewing on a book with so much of your encouragement, Bob, um, that's really come up in this last year and, and, you know, all the feelings that come with like, well, should I, and wanting to put something out, but it's been years in the making. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm, I'm carrying around tape recorders and in Google docs. Um, but yeah, it's a process of sharing. Well, the, the idea is called feral. And that is, you know, I, I grew up feral, uh, generation X, so fairly a feral child. You know, my playground was an abandoned gravel pit near my house where I used to hunt rabbits with a bow and arrow and my friends and do dumb things and this is this is pre-screen era uh and so and then growing up and and spending since i was four spending time at my cabin wisconsin my parents built and again having to completely rely on yourself for your own entertainment uh and being able to be completely adventurous being uncomfortable getting comfortable with an outhouse we had to use an outhouse we had to take a bath in 55 degree water every day if you want to take a bath that's what you did you grabbed a bar of soap and jumped in lake superior um just this idea of being in love with undomestication and uh, um so it's just, it's a whole it's a book all about that and and inviting well, people to embrace that part of themselves 
I want to invite people in the conversation about the process of writing the books. Andrew gets into some things and we, we do a little consultation with Brandon in this episode. Yes. Uh, I think you're going to really love it. And, and folks, we are giving you our first two-part episode. Our conversation expanded to be about 90 minutes. So we're going to do a two-part episode. So what you're going to hear now is part one of the uh, interview with Andrew. And then next week, you'll get to hear part two. So uh, with no further ado, we are, we are bringing you the first part of our interview with Andrew Cap. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, founders, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have a friend of the show on. It's been a while. We have been waiting to get him on because he is a busy, best-selling author. It's Andrew Cap. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, Bob and Brandon, thanks so much for having me. Really, really pumped as to where this conversation might go, especially given the conversations that we've all had when the record button wasn't hit. So thanks so much for having me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so Andrew and I, this just speaks to the power of um, community and connection. You know, Brandon and I, people that listen to the show know that we're members of many groups, uh, not because it's, we just, we're not joiners just for the sake of joining. Uh, Brandon and I are really into connecting. And um, Andrew and I were part of a group for a number of years, I think during the, the COVID pandemic, uh, a group called Tribe for Leaders that our friend Kevin Thompson put together. And that's how Andrew and I met and uh, just hit it off because um, you, you rarely come across people in life that are, that are as successful and as humble as Andrew. Um, that's probably the best way for me to describe you, Andrew. And you're so humble, you probably won't even accept that as a good description of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I think we're in like the mutual appreciation fan club because <laughs> I, I would use the same term, you know, no BS to describe actually both of you. But but I <laughs> thank you. You know what? I'm, I am. And actually, this is a good point. I am being more intentional about receiving compliments. So I will gratefully take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. So, awesome. um, yeah. And, uh, so, Andrew, you we're going to talk about a lot of things today, um, and you you've tackled a subject um, called the law of attraction that so many people have mystified and have tried to dig into. And you've got an amazing book on it. We're definitely going to be talking about that. And since that book, you've got a couple other books. We would like to talk about your journey as an author, because I think it's mm -hmm. going to be interesting to people. But um, let's let's go back a little bit. Um, let's talk about kind of how you started. Most people don't start out saying, hey, I'm going to be an author. Um, where, where did life take you before you jumped into the pool called entrepreneurship? Uh, well, it's interesting because in, in the same breath, you'd mentioned becoming an author and becoming an entrepreneur. And they, they don't necessarily follow the same path because I'll, I'll say this. I, I grew up, my hero was Todd McFarlane. And anyone who might recognize that name, he's one of the founders of Image Comics. He's the creator of Spawn. If you believe what Google has to say, he's worth about a third of a billion dollars. And when I was like growing up, I always wanted to be like a comic book artist because I thought his work was so exciting. And, and it was just, it was really, it was really cool. And um, <clears throat> thinking about Todd was like, 
even as a kid and not really understanding what it meant to be an entrepreneur, I understood that he wasn't just an artist. He was a business person. He was someone that understood how to take his passion and craft it into abundance and craft into a financial windfall. And, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, things become things other than money become important later in life. But when you're a kid, money's important. Right. So that's kind of like yeah. got me excited. Um so, and I say that as a preamble is like, as soon as I was out of college, I already knew that I wanted to run my own business. And I worked a nine to five for about 10 months to build up enough capital to start, not knowing any clue of what I was doing. But by the time I was 22, 23 years old, I was already running my first company, which was an art production studio, which, you know, the whole goal, it turns out I wasn't a very good comic book artist. I couldn't keep up. So I'm like, okay, I will downgrade myself to a comic strip artist. I only have to draw one to four panels per day, and it doesn't have to be as high quality. Um, but the funny thing about that is it was a miserable failure in terms of me getting my work out into a syndicate, into newspapers. But other things like understanding sales and networking and marketing, at least on a very beginner level, those kind of started to blossom for me a little bit more. So, um, you know, I, I failed a way more than I succeeded, but um, I guess the entrepreneur question, I was an entrepreneur from day one. What was right. it about that, Andrew? So this, this idea of entrepreneurship, Bob and I have had lots of, lots, many, many conversations and what was the attraction for you to entrepreneurship? There's, and it's, and how do you define it? Let's start with that. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for me, entrepreneurship is really, you know, running a business or businesses for yourself, but but not necessarily under the requirement that you're mining a store or that you're brick and mortar or that you even have to do day to day, even though I am uh, I am day to day. I'm, I'm in the middle of it. The thing that that really got me and it's it's funny. I finished my Lance answer to you and I realized I didn't give you a critical piece of information and you asked me queuing it up. What really was the the final stepping stone in that? And it was a thing where basically, you know, growing up, I'm, I don't know how young I look. I'm still at an age when grandparents and even parents would say the life plan is to get a good job and hold on to it for decades and safely retire. And yeah. I forgot all the conversations and all the things that led me there. But it came became clear to me in the early 2000s that if that was a model that did work in the past, it no longer works. And, and I kind of came to this really scary realization that you can't really necessarily count on a company to have your back and a company to look after you, even if you give everything of yourself to that big, you know, that big company. And as soon as I realized, well, they're not going to be there for me. Well, who do I always have as a guarantee who's going to be in my corner? Oh, it's that guy whenever I see when I look in the mirror. So let me go that route. So it was really in, in many ways, I don't know if you could say it was a fear response, but it was certainly a survival response. Andrew, my dad worked for the same company for 30 plus years. And um, I thought I thought that was like that. I thought that was going to be the way I would do it too, right? It's just like that you saw what your parents did. Mm. And uh, my first job out of college was for Amoco Corporation, the oil company. And they had a motor club division, um, you know, like AAA it was Amoco Motor Club. And uh, I got the job. I was excited. Uh, but two weeks after I got hired, uh, they um, processed um, one of the biggest layoffs in company history. So people that I met two weeks ago, um, uh, on that Friday, we're walking out of the office with a cardboard box of their things. Some of these people mm -hmm. had been there 10, 20 uh, plus years, 
And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like it took me two weeks to understand that this is not a long-term thing. And it really shifted my mindset. You know, I, I stayed there for three years. I jumped around for a few years. Um, but I knew within two weeks of getting into the workforce that, oh, this is not, I am not going to be living what my father's generation experienced, which was that long-term employment. So I saw it firsthand and it's like, ooh, okay, <laughs> you know, here we go. Um, I loved your answer though, about the guy that I could always count on is the guy that I look in the mirror every morning. Like I've never heard anybody say that before. That's a pretty amazing realization for a guy in his early twenties. Yeah. Like you gotta be pretty self-assured to be able to say that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it was interesting. I mean, I, I don't even know if I'd use it self-assured, but, but for some reason, and I, I want to be careful how I say this because um, I've I've been wise beyond my years, but I'm not like the mystical dude on the mountain by any stretch of the imagination. For some reason, sometimes there's certain things that that awareness has come to me earlier. Like I when when I got to college, I mean, I made friends with people my age, but instantly I was hanging out with the people about to graduate. I always kind of gravitated towards people a little bit older than me, that type of thing. And they, a lot of people took me under their wing. So I feel like it's easy to take credit for this level of self-awareness, but I think a lot of people all my life, always being ahead of the game, have inadvertently planted a lot of seeds that blossom in their own unpredictable way, whether I'm actually aware of it happening in the moment or not. So you're you're a classic old soul. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. So for this for sure. incarnation, you came to Earth and you you remembered a lot from, from past lives, obviously. And that's old souls are typical of that. Um, it just you operate in the world a lot differently. So it's a it's a pretty lonely place to be. Um, <laughs> people that are old souls don't fit in no. real they, easily. Not, not only do they not fit in, but they because they're old souls, they know that they don't fit in. So there's yeah. a oh. level of of lone of an awareness of loneliness in there also yeah wow. yeah wow. there's a perspective there's a and then when you're out and you're having a conversations and you're kind of like seeing if you can find your people and what's yes. funny is your people can be 18 years old they can be 80 years old it's a perspective um the way i define old soul is you know you're you're living in this environment you're on this 3d planet and yet you see you have a distance to it a lack of attachment to it so you have this wisdom and perspective it's you know maybe we'll talk about cults here a little bit but <laughs> you haven't drank there's a certain kool-aid you drink as a human being right and the old souls i know that i've been around is they don't necessarily buy into what so much of our culture can value and it yeah. feels a little strange when you don't get as enthusiastic about the latest sports team or did you hear what this political party just said and I'm outraged or, or you know, the latest reality show and you just like doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, just doesn't, and, doesn't resonate doesn't like don't care. And I don't know how it's been for you guys but in when in my younger years I certainly tried to do that so. Mm. Like for me, yeah. I was like, you know, coming from New York, I was big into like the whole Yankees Red Sox rivalry. Yeah. But even in the middle of it, there, I always felt like removed on a certain weird thing, which again translates into an unspoken loneliness that you can't um, really put your, your, you know, articulate in the right way. Um, but then eventually you're like, oh, this, this really is non like, no offense to anyone that's into it, but it's like for me, it feels like nonsense. And the one thing, getting one more thing to the loneliness when you're an old soul, at least in my perspective, 
you can't feel sorry for yourself because you're aware enough to know that feeling sorry for yourself is only hurting you. So yeah. you don't even get the luxury of being down in the dumps about being down in the dumps. So you're even <laughs> further removed Damn it. from this the whole luxury, thing. The luxury yeah. of being I down am in sad. the dumps. Who will yeah. be sad with me? Ah, nobody. <laughs> because people like there's a certain comfort, especially in our culture, because, you know, you hear about like love breakup songs and this yeah. and that. I mean, it, there's there's a comfort and familiarity. And that's where the comfort comes from in actually feeling bad. But when you know that that's bad for you, you don't even give yourself that luxury to kind of wallow in it for a little bit. So it's a very weird experience. Yeah. Hey, folks, hope you were enjoying our conversation with author and entrepreneur Andrew Cap. Uh, Andrew has written uh, three books. Um, the Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever read is the one that is kind of catapulted him to success. And he talks a lot about that uh, on the show today. Um, all of his books are available at Amazon and where you get your favorite books. Uh, you could also go to andrewcap.com and there's links to all the places that you can get all the titles that are available by Andrew. So andrewcap.com. Back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Ricknaris and Brandon Boyd. Then you get to a point where you realize, wait a minute, this is actually a strength. Like right. growing up, I, like, like you're mentioning, I was just not into so many things that my teenage friends were into and it's all geeked about. And it's like, oh man, I must be, you know, a nerd, a square, or whatever the words are. Now I have a 17, 18 year old who's exactly the same. He, he, he's, he's an old so he's like dad i just don't buy into this high school bullshit i just <laughs> he's just not impressed <laughs> he's just <laughs> like i'm out man this is just stupid you know what yeah. things could do so so and, and one more interesting thing because I, I i know you want to move on the conversation but here we're, we're a conversation with three people and we're also we're very intentional about getting into this conversation i remember when i was younger if i had a meal or a drink with one person I mean, I, I can I can fake a conversation or I could even go really deep with them. But I always noticed if I was in a group of five or six or more, I would be very silent because it, it didn't feel right to kind of interject on a conversation. I didn't have something interesting to say about the game that was played or the engagement ring that that dude's trying to pick out or anything like that. Again, it's not to say anything wrong with that. I just noticed it was an inability for me in a crowd of people that are on a very specific cultural wavelength to interject myself and i always felt like i was almost like i hope people don't think i'm rude i just have nothing that's popping to mind that to positively contribute to whatever's being said right now wow yes was, was it did you have that desire to go deeper andrew like did you did you were you bothered by maybe the superficialness of the discussion I, I wasn't bothered by it i just i couldn't engage with it and i only actually i was bothered that i couldn't engage with it you know i i like i i wish i could have i hate saying it this way because who who's who am i to say it's shallow but right. i wish i could have had that ability to engage in in the shallow conversation because these were my friends and i did value them and i did care for them it's like i i didn't think i was better than them because i was trying to go deep i like i wanted to fit in more but it always felt like there was huh. this level of Wow, I'm I'm not being the kind of contribution to this situation. Not that I articulated it that way back then. Sure. Um, that that these people are giving to and receiving from each other. Mm. That's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, and you know, I guess I guess it's easier for some people. I like 
I like having conversations about sports. As you know, Andrew, it's part of my life. Um, so I love having those types of conversations, but I also love having really deep conversations. So um, it just, I guess it's just a test to what, how your personality is developed and kind of yeah. what you're drawn to. So there's no, there's no judgment, like you said, and not being able to do that or being able to do that. It's, it's, it's just what it is. Um, it's interesting, Andrew. I didn't, I knew you were a creative but I didn't know that background about you. So are, are you an artist? Like, do you, do you draw? Do you paint? Uh, I used to do line art, just pencils and inks. And okay. um, I'll, I'll have to find, if you want, after the interview, I can kind of find you a link of some, some of my old school stuff. Um, really goofy. Again, I wasn't a very talented person, but um, like I, I can draw like the bat signal right now. I can draw Spider-Man's head right now off the cuff. I could draw yeah. Homer Simpson right now, the, the heads. Like I'm not good at drawing the whole, I never practiced the whole body composition. But um, but yeah, I, I was always um, a line artist, but having a conversation with me right now and then seeing my artwork, you feel like it's two different people because it's it's zany, it's cartoony, it's over the top. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's it's extroverted versus i mean ah. i mean I, I love talking to people but i'm you know i'm not i'm not screaming wave my arms no. around and if you look at that art you're like this dude waves his arms around all the time and he's, <laughs> he's on oh. something or whatever you know okay it's a creative but, outlet for you then that part yeah, of you coming it, out it was really me just trying to like my best i, I could never be todd mcfarlane but i could be someone that appreciated todd mcfarlane yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. it basically the artwork was so something in um the young andrew was drawn to that medium for some reason like art yeah. art and i mean comics is a very specific form of entertainment and communication right i mean it's there's a lot of satire in car in in comics right yeah and the interesting um, thing is like i didn't read comic books i flipped through them I enjoyed this outlet of storytelling communication visually. Like I, I couldn't tell you like, I mean, I mean, I knew enough about Spider-Man, but I couldn't tell you like his history and like, oh, here's what happened in issue 248. Like I didn't know, but okay. I could flip like, oh my God, that's Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. Let me flip through because I love the, the amazing energy that's jumping off the pages that this dude Todd McFarlane since seems to do effortlessly. So you were were you drawn to like the superhero kind of sci-fi stuff, or were you drawn to like yeah. the Archie Popeye goofy stuff? Oh, more more to superhero. And and part okay. of this, by the way, I mean, as much as I say, oh, I'm an outsider in a conversation <laughs> with my friends, blah blah blah. No, no, I was heavily influenced because that was the cool thing. Everyone was into like Image Comics coming out. And by the way, yeah. I love sports also. I I loved. I was a huge Giants fan growing up in New York. I was a Yankee fan. This and I was a Knicks fan. This and that. But a lot of that was a product because I go to school and everyone's wearing their their triple goose feather jackets and they got the New York Knicks jackets. So yeah. I was like into that stuff. But within being into that stuff, I always took like my own weird direction or my own weird outlet from it. Love it. I gotcha. You made it your own. I love that. Yeah. So show notes say that you used to work for WWE. Am I thinking the wrestling WWE? If I get yes. Okay. So tell me about this. It's, the it's WWE, it used to be the WWF, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and like, this is how far back I go. When I interned, it was WWF. Uh, right. My internship was was back in 19, like the heart of the Attitude Era, 1999. The and um, Hulk Hogan? Was, 
Hogan was gone by the, he was in WCW at that point. So for me, this was like the Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Ah. rock type of stuff going on, which by the way, I I met them all. And I interact my first day on the job. I I meet Howard Finkel. Anyone who might know that name, he was like the classic ring announcer. And while we're on the uh, elevator going to the fourth floor, Vince McMahon hops on. So within first five minutes of being working for that company, I'm, I'm meeting the the godfather of of wrestling um but the way that came about brandon it was interesting i wanted to do a final like internship i i wasn't i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur but i didn't know if i'd have to get a job first so in college i was always trying to pad my resume and put interesting jobs and i was a business major and i was like let me do some kind of like marketing internship for a final padding on my resume so that i can easily get a job when when i get out of school and i was a huge huge wrestling fan like i loved it and and they were being so creative and so in the moment in 1997 1998 1999 and the really cool thing about it was i when i applied i thought that i had to do it for school credit i thought that they wouldn't allow me to do it without cooperation from my college so i had a like with like one day to go i had to hunt down the head of the department and I had to pitch this to him. And he said, you got to give me a letter, but I've only got a half hour. So I like, I ran down. This is like the the uh, genesis of my copywriting stuff, which I didn't even know about in the moment. I ran to like the computer lab and I, for a 19 year old or 20 year old or however old I was, I punched out this brilliantly convincing paragraph on why I'm the right person for this internship just to get this rubber stamp of approval that I didn't even know that I needed. And in the same way, and we can kind of go with like law of attraction if we want to go down this road. But at the same time, I was effortlessly weeding my way through the interview process with WWF, not realizing when I scored that internship, I'd beat out about 800 other people competing country wow. nationwide. Damn. I was like those five interns they hired. We, we were amongst like 800 to 1,000 people competing for that job. So I didn't even realize how hard like... All I did was come come in the moment very, um, I'm trying to find the word, I, I guess authentic and very gen- genuine, as, as genuine as I could be. And by the way, I was trying to do, um, I want to be the merchandising department. I'm like, I can draw, let me design t-shirts for you. But as soon as they were sitting down and talking with me, they're like, listen, we don't want you for merchandising. We do want to hire you. We want to pay you, by the way, even though you thought you were doing this for free. And we want you to be in our fan services department. We want you to be the person that people first speak to when they call in. So I was really young, but for some reason, they assessed my personality. I'd be a a good face for the company on the phone in that context. And that's how I I got the job. Fascinating. So we've got to get some stories out here behind the curtain of WWD. I don't know which WWE we're talking about, but one of those. Mm. But uh, so you know the debate has been going on for decades about is it real is it not real and then you know i just watched a video the other night on you know andre the giant and hulk hogan it was hysterical how andre the giant would like throw around these guys and treat them mad like there was a story about hulk hogan and he brought his girlfriend put his girlfriend in the front row and he was going against andre the giant and andre threw him out right in front of his girlfriend and andre noticed that that was his girlfriend and then he started beating the hell out of out of uh hulk because he he's like don't bring girlfriend here and slamming him around it was hysterical yeah. so what's what's give us some of the dar- a story from the d- underbelly of uh the ww 
so I'll say this real quick. It's predetermined, but there's things about it that are real that people don't understand because and what I mean by that is they are there. They are professionals. There's no intention to actually hurt each other, yeah. but they are also competing for the same high spot because even though the champion is a title given to you, not like you win in a comp in an athletic competition, it still means it's a bigger paycheck. So there's a lot of politics backstage and people trying to undercut and, and who knows what. In terms of what I witnessed, um, the the one thing that <laughs> the one thing that stands out to me um, was I remember uh, I remember the um, okay I'm I want to say this I mean you just said bullshit so I know that that we're not too uh, oh yeah we're, okay. we're all, all all language acceptable. The, one of the wrestlers at that summer was the Godfather, and he was like a pimp character, and he he would bring like hoes to the ring, or <laughs> you know. And basically what, what WWF would do is they would hire local strippers in the area to like be with them that time. And I'll never, for me, the funny, the funny story that leaps out at me was they put me, and I'm, I'm like five, eight, five, seven. They put me in charge of security for these hoes. So after hanging out with them backstage and they're like chatting me up and one of the wrestlers getting mad because like they want to hit on them and I'm just standing there because the boss told me you're not allowed to leave their side unless they go to the bathroom. Um, they say, Andrew, you got to usher them through the crowd of 3000 people and get them safely to their car. And it was just this weird thing because I wasn't very big. I got them safely. And like, oh, my God, we got to take a photo with you. So like they're taking a photo. And I'm like, you know, I'm like 21 years old. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And just <laughs> as like I'm feeling like on top of the world, the one goes, no, turn around his badge. You have to see his backstage pass. I'm like, you're not taking a photo with me. You're taking a photo with my WWF backstage pass. Like I didn't like, it was that sudden realization that You're I just didn't a billboard. It was just, yeah, it was the title of, of, of backstage dude of influence to them. Yeah. Yeah. That I, <laughs> I mean, it's driven, it's driven by, it's driven by marketing numbers. I assume like this person's a bigger draw. Yeah. So they 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 put him into the lead storyline and you know make him runner up or champion because of the the draw. I mean they're building a card, just yeah. like a fight promoter would. It's like who's bringing us the biggest amount of dollars? Well, yes, yeah, yes and no because like t-shirt sales may indicate if you stick with someone or if you move with someone. But then again, Vince McMahon might have a vision of well, this person just came out and they don't have any t-shirts, but they're going to be big. Therefore, I'm going to push them. I'm going to give them a string of wins. I'm going to put them in interesting storylines. So it's a weird combination of yes, the fans responding with their dollars and with their cheers and with signs in the audience, but also Vince McMahon and other management making decisions. Which me as an intern, I was never privy to any of that. Sure. They weren't going to uh, to let me in on that. Um, but, but but I you, mean I, you, I was you see a guy like The Rock, mm -hmm. so it's just like a, a music a music promoter going down to Nashville and discovering Taylor Swift or like this person's going to be a star or Simon Cowell right like people that spot talent. Vince McMahon's ultimate gift was that he knew what he could sell. He was P.T. Barnum. Yes. Yeah. And he and knew what he was going to sell. Yeah, and he was. I mean, I. Not to throw shade, I think he's lost his touch mm. uh, over the years. But back then, he was so on point. He understood, yeah. and he was listening to the audience a lot more than he does now. Um, back back then, he was really paying attention. Whereas now, he's like, no, it's a billion dollar company, and I'm going to give them the stars I want, and then this and that and that. But um, there were like a, it was a, 
I was in the office most days, but when I did work those house shows, it was interesting to see like who was really cool and wasn't so cool. Like you mentioned The Rock and, and I don't know how he is these days, but I remember um, that show after I escorted the hose, um, <laughs> I helped The Rock get to his car and all these people found their way to the parking lot that they weren't supposed to be. And he signed all these autographs and he gets in his car and he starts to drive away and he immediately stops and he gets out because he spotted someone in a wheelchair who didn't have the opportunity to get his autograph. So he, he went back, got the autograph and was stuck for another 20 minutes just for that with other people that had caught up. And he was so patient and he was so kind and it really made an impression on me. Like, you know, it's like, if I'm ever a big name, I'm never going to be too big for my britches. And I'm never going to like, cause this is the rock and he didn't have to do that. And he could have been a dick if he wanted to be. And right. really, again, I don't know how he is these days. I mean, Hollywood changes people. But as first class as you can ever imagine back then. Love That's it. Awesome. Someone with perspective. So what is, in your opinion, what is the draw? You mentioned, you know, Vince, you know, he's creating, it's like these characters coming on a stage and he's making decisions and the audience is voting on which characters they're identifying with, loving, hating. It sounds like a live in the moment theater production, almost like a um, um, whose line is it anyway, plus a circus, you know, plus, but it sounds like it's it's very creative in the moment. There's some initial planning, but how, how would a wrestler rise to the top and say, okay, this guy is going to be the next champion what what had to happen I, I get the sense it was more based on personality and draw than it was athletic ability or can he slam this guy across the mat and actual beat him tell me a little bit about those dynamics yeah so here's the thing and you use the word dynamic and i think you well you said dynamics but dynamic is a perfect word because there is so much to it there's a level of unpredictability because okay there's being athletic there's being able to safely perform. There's being able to talk on the microphone and cut a good promo. And if you do, if you can cut a promo, there's having a certain look that lends itself to that. There's, um, you know, being good backstage. And you know, because I mean, there, there's there's certain people where they'll be end, they'll end up getting like a push, but then all of a sudden they'll stop because they have a substance abuse issue behind the state the scenes or whatever. So it's in many ways, it's like any other company when you're trying to rise up the ranks it's it's because you know there's a combination if you're in a, a corporate environment there's a combination of how you carry yourself the politics you play um the quality of your work you know the friends you make the enemies you make um you know the the perception of you it's it's all this combination of it and you know for that in particular i mean it's it's like it's a landmine of anything can go wrong because you know, when you're just like in the minor leagues or like you're in their developmental stuff, if they have a coach that doesn't like you, then you never even had a chance to get in front of Vince McMahon. Or if, you know, um, you have a disagreement with someone, but that person's on the rise. We're like, well, we love this person. There's bad chemistry and we don't want them to be uncomfortable. There's so it's like it's so many weird things. I think ultimately, just like anything else, the best you can do is, you know, be in the best shape. Be the safest performer. Be reliable on the microphone. When they tell you to do an interview, wake up at 6 a.m. and do the interview. When they finally give you your shot to tell a story, to get on the microphone and cut a promo, don't botch it. Mm. Determine when they hand you a script, determine whether you can memorize and deliver that script 
or you want to take a huge risk and say something different, or you want to do a combination. I mean, it's it's a it's a fly by the seat of your pants type of thing, uh, you know, nonstop. And again, I mean, I like anyone else, I'm sure there's good personalities and bad personalities, but I do have immense respect for the kind of you know hurdles these people have to jump, and you know, all the time they're away from their family to to get this opportunity and to continue like get to enjoy it and and make something of it. Cool. Hey everyone, hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am. So excited, uh, I just love the power of story. And it's not new to you, it's not new to us. We are so familiar with story and we're so excited about the things that are coming up with Feed Stories as well as our sister company, Strategic Story Media. If you have not weaponized your story and weaponize, I put air quotes around that because they're not really a weapon, but if you haven't mobilized your story, the thing about you that is unique that no one else can copy, it's time to do that. It's time to identify what that is and it's time to get it out into the marketplace where people can resonate with it. That's how people do it. They resonate with story. So if that sounds interesting to you, it sounds like something that you need to be thinking about, maybe prodded and poked a little bit to see, wow, what really is my story and how can I use it to reach more people and help solve problems? Reach out to us on strategicstory.media or feedstories.com. We'd love to have to start that conversation. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. Well, thanks for indulging us with that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an interesting... It an interesting industry that most people don't they they're aware of from the entertainment side but we know there's a whole business side and i haven't met anybody that's been on the inside so thanks for indulging that yeah i'm, um, I'm happy to always indulge in future conversations and again it's <laughs> it's it's weird it's a very weird own thing because it's combat sports entertainment without an actual undetermined combat conclusion to it it's, right. it's really weird but right. they get hurt for real by accident when they get hurt it's because yeah. something went wrong versus UFC. They, they hurt them because they, they're trying to hurt them. Exactly. Huh. I mean, but it did give birth to something like the UFC. Um, mm -hmm. You know, part of that, they're taking cues from the WWE for sure. So oh, yeah. let's shift. Let's shift into your story. Um, so, that, I mean, obviously, that was an internship and you expressed, hey, <clears throat> I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. So talk about your first entrepreneurial venture. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be your first, maybe something that's a little bit more substantial. Give us a little background on that. Well, I mean, if if we're looking for substantial, it's so weird because my brain is is analyzing and critiquing all these little things. <laughs> where it's like, that doesn't even count. Like, okay, this, for me, while there, there, there were victories, there were wins, there were triumphs, there were successes. I don't consider my first significant entrepreneurial venture until the publishing of the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read, which is only 2019. It was only four years ago. Like before then, there were successes and I learned a lot. But to me, that's the first thing that I call significant because okay. it's the first time where there was a certain inherent feeling of momentum that didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like I was trying to push or drag the train across the tracks. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I, I had huge wins and, and huge lessons before then, and I can I can dive into that. But to me, this this really is not just the beginning, but for me, a new beginning and a new way that I even 
operate in the world in the context of being an entrepreneur in the context of the idea of success all right this is this is going to be an important thread then for this conversation so you finally hit a point with the book and we definitely want to talk about that so let's let's go back so you 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 prompted me with something which was mm -hmm. and this is a common feeling we we can feel this and and even in current projects brandon and i feel this we're Right now, you don't feel the momentum and you feel like you're having a force thing. So take us take us to something where it's like you had some modicum of success, but you were like, I'm missing something. So take us to one of those businesses and those ideas. Let's let's talk through that and what that feeling was. Yeah, well, even back in like the first book that I ever published, it wasn't a book of, of words. It was a collection of comic strips. Okay. And it was a weird thing where even though like, you know, there was, it always felt like an uphill battle with the comic strip because I, I would generate enough interest where like I can sell a few books here and there and I'd get some websites hits and, and this and that. But the like every single day that I woke up doing that first comic strip, it felt like I don't know what I was doing. It felt like I was throwing pasta against the wall, all sorts of pasta like just trying to figure out what would stick. I had no level of certainty on how to get more readers. I had no level of certainty on how to get more sales. I didn't really know where to begin. Like I was just, I was flailing all over the place and, and things were working, but I didn't understand when they did work. I didn't understand why. And I didn't understand how to replicate them. I remember um, I was doing a product just on kind of like charisma and, and networking. We'll put that way charisma was like the theme around it and i wrote up this this huge like you know the long form sales copy this sure. whole page like like selling the book and it got crickets and the thing was i had i didn't copy off of someone but i kind of replicated the whatever i could like the vibe and the feeling of somebody else's letter because i was trying to learn off of them but the reason that it bombed, and I can look back on that letter now, is because I didn't understand when they would choose a certain word or certain sentence structure. I didn't understand when they were employing social proof, when they were employing scarcity. I didn't understand what their headline was actually doing in terms of grabbing somebody and capturing their attention and that type of stuff. So like in the beginning, I was just looking around at other successful people thinking I was doing what they were doing, but not understanding the real psychology and the real mindset and the real fundamentals or principles behind their actual moves. And therefore it's like, it's like shooting a basketball, um, like underhanded like that, because you saw a Harlem Globetrotter do it. Whereas a proper person's like, no, the Harlem Globetrotters are amazing. You've got to hold it like this and you've got to do this. And there's the mechanics and the, this is how you get spin doing that works for them because they can do it and nobody else can do it, you know? And that, that was kind of like the comparison. I, I'm hoping that answers your question, but it was really just a, like a lot of uncertainty because I didn't actually understand what business really meant. Mm. Oh. What, um, what seems to be a common theme in our show for more and more is this idea of disruption. And you had some significant disruption um lost losing your first business a three-year relationship mm -hmm. same week yes um again seems to be very common necessary painful catalyst into becoming more of who you are and discovering your your gifts and and being able to put those out to the world can you talk a little bit about those events 
and how it brought you to the to law of attraction. Yeah. Well, if not I those learned, events, then then what was? I'm curious how you got to law of attraction. Yeah. So law uh, of attraction was, and and by the way, those events are really cool because those events were how I finally understood law of attraction in a way right. that I never had before. Um, law of attraction is a very kind of like uneventful thing where I learned about it, um, I think 2004, when I was just trying to figure out the secret to happiness and success. And, and I was looking, you know, just positive thinking and, and, you know, Tony Robbins and, um, Bob Proctor and, um, you know, uh, something Rome, I think I forgot his first name. Yes. Um, Law of attraction was one modality of many that I was just again flailing and trying this and doing that, and it felt at that mo at that point very inconsistent and very unreliable because I didn't realize at the point I was inconsistent. I was unreliable. I was not actually engaging in the process and seeing it through to the end, which kind of takes us to the the whole thing where you know four years later. Um, struggling with this failing business that was going nowhere, having been in a three-year relationship where because I was so desperate to succeed, I couldn't even give energy to that. She breaks up. Like when I finally like see the writing on the wall and I throw away my business within three days, she broke up over text. And I don't wish that horrible experience on anybody. And I don't wish any kind of negativity on anybody but I've noticed, I've come to this realization that for some weird reason, we as humans, more often than not, not that we have to hit rock bottom, but we need some real dark night of the soul or some real challenge, some real, you know, the universe or God or whoever, whatever you believe in, just slapping you in the face and saying, try and get past this. Because it was only within the depths of, you know, depression and like, what the hell? What the hell just happened? I lost I lost 90% of my life in less than a week. Like, what, what happened here? It's only from that that I got so indignant. And I had this like weird epiphany and moment of indignation at the same time where I'm like, listen, I've wasted my 20s. I, I'm, I've gone nowhere. Something has to change. And I kind of look back. I'm like, you know, that law of attraction thing that kind of worked but kind of didn't. Now that I think about it, whenever I was actually doing it, when I was visualizing gratitude scripting and I didn't stop, it would, it would start to work and then I'd stop it. So like, you know what? I don't care what happens. I don't care when it happens, how it happens. What I don't hear. I'm going to go all in with this thing once and for all. I don't, nothing's going to stop me. Progress is not going to stop me and failure is not going to stop me. I'm going to be stubborn and just do this. And I'm not going to do it all day, every day, because I'd understood enough about myself personally that that's unsustainable. No matter how mad you are, you're going to quit if you put yourself to the ringer 24-7. But I was pissed off enough and I was motivated enough to look back and say, well, I only need to do five or 10 minutes of this a day. And this time, I'm going to tweak the manifesting methods that I learned so that they're that they're more enjoyable for me, because that will make it easier for me to be more consistent. And when things start to happen this time, I'm not going to use that as an excuse to take my, my foot off the gas. And if things aren't working out, I'm not going to use that as an excuse to quit. I'm just going to do this. And it became like, you know, I tell people it's like a movie because within two weeks, I felt not 100%, but way better than anyone with a broken heart had any business feeling. 
Within three months, I was in a brand new, way healthier, way better relationship. Within four months, um, making more money than at any point in my life before then. And within six months, like everything's different. I'm waking up happy. I'm waking up fulfilled. I'm in the best shape of my life. There, there came a, a seven or eight week period in the middle of this where I lost 25 pounds without even trying. It's not to say I wasn't exercising, but I wasn't trying to lose the weight. I was just trying to feel better about myself. All these things happened. And I learned not intellectually, not from a book, not from like life experience, experientially. I learned that whatever this thing is, whether it's actually the law of attraction or something else that I don't even understand, it works when you work it. And from that moment on, I always had a different understanding and perspective of manifesting methods of visualization of gratitude, because I, I could tell you theoretically why it works. We could talk about quantum physics, quantum mechanics. The truth is that's just a guess. All I know is that it does work for me and anyone who's ever given it an honest try without gritting their teeth and trying to force it and getting in their own way. Mm, love that. Well, you, I was out walking this morning, listening to Gary Zukov, re-listening to Gary Zukov's Seat of the Soul. And um, this just happened to be what I listened to and synchronicity, I love it. But he's talking about the fact that chaos and disruption is a tool that the universe uses to wake you up. Yes. You know, you're, you're never going to be aware that there's more than your five senses and there's more to the universe than just your personality and your ego. And it's the way in a dense environment, a dense energy of the 3d environment to wake a person up. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that is absolutely what happened to you. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to Brandon. It happens to all of us. And it's an invitation to wake up, to go, well, maybe there's more than just what's in front of me. Um, you're, the, the, last, the last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read, it's, it's, a, it's a cool title. Um, don't, let, don't let the playfulness or the simplicity of the book um, throw you and I, I recommend everybody get this. You had said something, and this is this is something that I mean we talked before we recorded, Andrew. But um, one thing I've got highlighted here in my Kindle: the only thing you did every day was feel grateful more often than you feel any negative emotion at all. Everything in your life would improve: your health, your finance, your relationships, everything. That that is highlighted in my book, and it's something that I. I don't know when I downloaded this, Andrew, maybe 2019, 2020. Mm. Um, I highlighted it back then, but it means something to me now. <laughs> it's funny. I was drawn to it. I like knew it was important, but I didn't really understand it till now. And it's it's something that I'm going through right now, which is you you discovered something very simple, but yet profound, which is you changed, you, you basically changed your vibration to be in gratitude. Mm -hmm. And if I had to summarize what you you summarize the law of attraction is, it's a shift in energy to gratitude, and and being intentional about it. And and you you go about in your book in a very very practical way, very simple way of how to basically change that and do that. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that to kind of maybe give people some appetite to download the book? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say, first of all, thank you for the compliment. The, the thing about, you know, the term law of attraction is there's always, there's a level of inherent skepticism about it. It's a very stigmatized term. Um, people yeah. either love or hate the secret because they think of whatever they think about it. 
my approach, one of many to the, to my book was I, I never knew, like, is the person reading this, are they, do they have like a fantastical mindset? Do they have a practical mindset? Are they uh, cynic? Um, are they jaded? Like what's going on with here? What I wanted to do is I wanted to lay out this content in a way of like, there's magic there, but let's pretend it's not magic. Let's just do this in a very real, very three-dimensional way for you to apply yeah. so that maybe you can enjoy the magic. And for me, the the, whole, the reason I call it the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read is because, you know, I don't know if you call this very humble, my not so humble opinion, the thing that makes this book different than most or all the other ones is about making it easy to implement, making yes. it user-friendly so that you can actually do the thing because after four years and losing 90% of my life and blah, 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 I figured out the only way it's ever going to work if you is if you actually do it. So what can I do in terms of articulating a message in the book? To, to hold up a mirror so that people can see whenever their own they're like their own bullshit is getting in their way because once you see it it doesn't have as much power over you okay we've got that out of the way we've got the usual excuses you make we got this we got that now you understand now you can see how to actually do this oh and ps i'm including methods here that are easy to do so now that you know this is easy here's the easy thing to do for me the goal was just structuring this this progression this experience of these 208 pages or four and a half hours of an audiobook if you prefer audio so that by the time you're done or even while you're in the middle of it it's been this you've kind of like glided through the content and now you understand everything and you see the world differently you see your own obstacles differently you see your access to success differently and all I want to do is like, listen, it might not be the last book you ever read, but it's the last law of attraction book you'll ever need to read. Right. Because once you understand this, you could never go back no matter how many other books you try to read after it. But it's safe to say, Andrew, you couldn't have written this book without the experiences you had for 20 years leading up to it. Correct? Yeah. Well, I, I, it took me 11 years from like that whole epiphany to finally doing this. Yeah. And it really came down to just not giving myself permission. Like I always mm -hmm. was my idea, like, you know, I should write a book about this. I should share this, but I never, I don't know if I didn't feel ready. I don't know if I didn't feel worthy. Like I, for whatever reason, I just didn't give myself permission, but I also knew like based on prior experience, you don't just write a popular, like a book on a popular topic and throw it out there because you're, you know, that whole blue ocean stuff if people have better options within that, you're never going to get anywhere. It's like, if I'm going to write a book on any topic, it has to bring something new to the conversation, it has to stand out. Otherwise, there's, there's not going to be any success behind it. There's not going to be right. any longevity there. So that that was like my mindset, but it took me a really long time to give myself permission. And by then, fortunately, I understood copywriting that I could make a stickier title, but I also was able to challenge myself and say, listen, I can't just make an empty promise. I have to live up to this because people are going to review this book on Amazon. So yeah. it's not only does it have to be this bold promise, but it actually has to live up to the promise in a way that will inspire five-star reviews because then people won't, you know, I, I'll, I can trick, I'm putting quotes here because I'm not sure if people see this on video or, or audio. I can trick a hundred people into buying the book. Yes. But if the book sucks, then 100 people, 100 bad reviews, no one else is going to be fooled. It has to actually live up to it. It has to deliver. And that's for all my books. It has to deliver. 
Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. A show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder. Innovative Founder.